This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. Welcome to Killer Innovations. I'm your host, Phil McKinney. Uh, this week, we are still in the older studio. Construction actually meaning I have to move out of here starts uh, tomorrow. So we will actually be out of the studio for three weeks. So I will be doing the show from the road or in uh, <laughs> temporary locations. And then hopefully if everything comes together, February 28th, we will be back in a brand new studio. And in fact, uh, I'll make a point um, at that point to actually uh, do a few full tour. Uh, if you're listening us to us live, you can also hop over on either Periscope or Facebook we are streaming the show live today on both, so you can actually uh, participate in the conversation and uh, ask questions and give us feedback. So today's show is really picking up where we left off last week's show. Last week's show, we talked about innovation timelines. Now, an innovation timeline is that looking across uh, some time frame that you pick, whether that is you know two to four years or three to eight years, for your specific industry and your specific organization, and looking across a whole wide range of areas to try to lay out kind of a, a range of innovation possibilities. Um, at the uh, end of the show, I shared about how to pull them together in a timeline document, something that you can share with the uh, your team, things that you can share within your organization, or you can share with potential investors, whatever uh, whoever the uh, the audience is that you're trying to persuade about your vision or the innovation opportunities that your organization is facing. So, in fact, last week, I, at the end of the show, I shared that uh, I would go ahead and post up um, an old innovation timeline, one that actually is expired, meaning if you looked at the furthest year in the innovation timeline, I think the last one was like 20, it ended in 2013 or 2014. And this was a timeline I created back, I don't know, 2004, 2005. Um, but it's one that actually a lot of people have already had seen um, in talks and that, that I've given over the years. So I actually took that up, put it into a PDF, and made it available um, to, uh, to all of you to download so you can kind of get a feel for what it is I'm talking about. I didn't anticipate how popular uh, that download was going to be. So hopefully everybody's already grabbed that. If you haven't, you can still go over and grab it at KillerInnovations.com slash timeline. So that's killerinnovations.com slash timeline. And that is where you can download um, the timeline. You can take a look at um, what I mean when I talk about this. Now, now that you got the timeline, what the heck do you do with it? All right. Okay. It's a pretty document. It's, you know, works really well at getting your boss and the executives all wound up about it or getting investors really excited. But what do you do with it? How do you translate an innovation timeline into something that is actually meaningful for you? And that's really the topic for today's show. Today's show is around what I'm calling innovation scouting. How do you go out now and scout all of the areas that you have on your timeline to make sure that you understand all of the full context? Context being, what are other people doing in this space? What are other people doing um, that, uh, you know, what is it that, that, that you could be driving from the standpoint of things that they're, they're doing that you can leverage, you can, you know, uh, participate in. 
But also the most important part about this is to make sure that you're not gonna be duplicating what somebody else is already doing. Um, you, know, you don't wanna be the, the, the 12th person in on any kind of given idea. So what I typically do when I create a new innovation timeline is I'll take all of those areas that are maybe kind of in the next one, two to three years. And I'll actually take each one individually and I start doing what I call a scouting report. Um, and this is the process of going out and finding out what all, everybody is doing in that space. Now, the challenge being is, is that if you looked at that scouting report that, or the timeline that I shared with you last week, and if you did one scouting report for every item in a timeline, you would need an army of people and you would be doing it for years. So you do have to be a little selective. So what I would do is I would take a look at the timeline, identify those ones that you're most interested in, the ones that you think are going to be the big impact into your industry or your organization, and then at that point, um, prioritize those and do them in some kind of systematic process, particularly if there's an area where you really want to get the organization going in developing the, the innovation or coming up with ideas or running or brainstorming activities. So in that case, then... I would prioritize those in order and then do kind of this, what I would call this scouting report. Now we're gonna get into more details about the scouting report, but what I, I wanna make sure you understand what the, what the role of a scouting report is before we get into the actual uh, details of what goes in or what you should be looking at. Again, the role of the scouting report is we wanna make sure you understand the entire landscape of the area. You wanna make sure you understand what everybody else is doing in the space. You basically don't want to be plowing the same field. And in fact, you can use the scouting report where you collect it up what everybody else is doing and use it as a launch pad for your brainstorming session or your ideation activities. If an area is important enough that it's made it onto your timeline, you need to do a scouting report eventually on it. But before you actually jump in and just take your, innovate, your timeline and start running brainstorming sessions and getting everybody all wound up, you really need to make sure you understand the landscape, what is going on um, out there. And you need some time to really absorb that context. Um, in some cases, it becomes kind of a game of connecting the dots. You find one piece of data, you find the next piece of data, and you found the next piece of data. Now, uh, what are some of the areas that you should be looking at from the scouting report? Where do you go find out what everybody's doing in the space? You know, the first automatic answer is everybody's going to go off and do a Google. Um, Google's interesting in the fact that you can find great information, um, but it isn't really a good indicator of where you may have uh, finding emerging trends or weak signals, things that are about to, to, to come about. The top area for me that I look at when I'm trying to identify some emerging trends, I shouldn't top, it's probably one of the top five, is um, the Department of Defense. Um, in the case of in the U.S. with the Department of Defense and the amount of uh, government funding that goes into research and development, uh, you can actually, if you dig through and, and, and uh, kind of understand how they report out statuses on projects that they have underway or projects that they are funding with third-party companies, you can get a kind of a pretty interesting look at things that are, that are emerging or that are coming out, right? So, for instance, you know, we, you know, if you're in the, into uh, 
cybersecurity and privacy, you probably know about the Tor uh, browser, which is this hyper-secure browser that obfuscates who you are and you can hide yourself on the net. Done for a lot of really good things, but it also is done for some bad things. Tor was actually developed at Naval Research in Washington, D.C. as part of a contract there. Um, and some of the early, early work on that had you been following some of the uh, contracting documents that come out of the federal government, etc. You could have gotten an early insight into some of the work in, in these new kinds of uh, privacy or obfuscation technologies. So I look at both the Department of Defense, a lot of investments going into military. I also look at DARPA. Um, DARPA is the agency that basically funded funded the internet, and so uh, that became uh, you know the groundbreak and what's enabling you to watch on Periscope or Facebook or hear me today is the work that actually came out of the DARPA funding. And there's also work that uh, NASA. If you look at how many technologies and spinoffs that have come from uh, NASA. I used to be, back when they would publish the magazine, NASA Tech Briefs, I would just devour that magazine. You can now do it online, same information's available. Uh, but it allows you to uh, kind of get a hint as to where that early dollars are being placed, dollars that are not even expecting a return. They're, they're basically funding really long range research and you can use that to see if they are doing any work in an area that you're interested in or an area that you're, you're focusing in on for uh, your, your innovation scouting. So step one, I always take a look at the, the governments, whether it's U.S. government or foreign governments, and those become an interesting input from the standpoint of if the government's already funding it, it might be a really good idea and you may already have some drafting effect for those technologies. Second case, it may be that they're just starting off and there's going to be a lot more that are going to be uh, uh, investing in that. And therefore, it's going to be a hot area and you may be a little bit too late, but it becomes one of the first steps. So with that, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to pick this up. We've got a lot more to go through for the checklist and hopefully you find it helpful in helping you scope out, scope out what you're working on. I'm Phil McKinney. You're listening to Killer Innovations on the BizTalk Radio Network. Don't go anywhere because we'll be right back. BizTalk Radio. is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. Welcome back to Killer Innovations. I'm your host, Phil McKinney. We're going to pick up right where we left off in the first segment, talking about scouting innovation. So uh, last week, we talked about innovation timelines. So how do you predict the future? Uh, last week, I shared the six steps um, to go through to do a better job of predicting what the future is for your company, your yourselves, you can apply it to yourself personally, um, or uh, entire industries. 
This week, we're going to pick up and say, what do you do with that timeline? And for me, step one, after I've formed a timeline, is to do this innovation scouting. And scouting is basically searching out and getting, making sure that you look across a broad range of areas and try to identify uh, those areas that you can, uh, that, that potentially could be doing work in the same space. So that's the purpose of the scouting. So right before the break, I shared with you some of my thoughts around one area that I always look at, which is government funding, government-funded research. They tend to be further out ahead. They tend to take higher risk. And a lot of that funding goes to universities, but in some cases it goes to private research and development labs. It'll go to uh, corporate R&D labs. Um, and by tracking and kind of following the money, you'll get some good insight into what it is and, and where those interesting areas that are that are being done or where, where, where they're doing interesting research. Next up is university research, um, particularly state-funded universities. Um, in many cases, have to make that information public and make it public fairly early in the process. So you get a lot of transparency. Um, and so in this case, I'm look, I look at I sign up and I, or I subscribe to universities as PhD theses are being published. Now, in many cases, you know, I'm not looking to read, you know, a 400-page dissertation document, but I'm looking for kind of those dissertations, PhD dissertations, in areas that I'm interested in or in areas that I'm potentially interested in. And I can basically kind of skim the, uh, the first couple of pages and figure out if there's an overlap or if it's something that I'm keenly interested in just reach out to the PhD student and get them on the phone. Now, I'll tell you, when, when I've reached out to PhD students and said, hey, I, I caught your dissertation, I think you're working in an interesting area, you know, would you mind getting on the phone with me? They like, one, have a heart attack, and two, they're thrilled that somebody from outside the university realm actually is reading their stuff. And they will be very open with you, and you get a pretty good understanding as to what it is they're working on. And some of the, you know, and, and I would not, go to just the obvious universities like Stanford or MIT or, or um, you know, Berkeley or, you know, whoever. Um, go to some of the second tiers. You know, Florida Tech, as an example, has got a great software program um, or other areas, right? You know, but it's a nice way. And if they have a sophisticated system where you can put search criteria in, so you're not getting every PhD thesis, but the thesis is in, in a certain subject matter area, that's, that's great. Another thing to look at when you're trying to scout out to see if anybody's looking into the same space you're thinking about is to look at company funding of university research. You know, in my previous role as CTO at Hewlett Packard, we funded, I don't know, anywhere between 180 and 200 universities a year around the world received funding. And these, not little dollars, we're talking some significant dollars. And so companies like uh, Hewlett Packard and IBM and others. Um, support university research in order to get work done in a specific area that aligns with a professor and potentially PhD candidates. So if you can look at who the government, you know, what companies are supporting a research area. So for instance, if you find a PhD student who's doing work in an interesting area, look in the, into the bottom of, the, of that PhD thesis, you're going to see them acknowledge the companies that provided funding to that research great insight into telling you that that company is interested in the same space. And what you're really trying to do in this scouting report is to try to create this map of, of uh, all the activities that are going on in, in, a, in an area that fits onto your timeline that you've already prioritized that's important 
for your innovation plans. You're basically, it's like, you know, it's like going into warfare, right? You want to understand the competition. You want to understand, I wouldn't call them the enemies, but understand what others are doing so that you can use that as input, collective input into your strategy. So again, universities, great. Next up, venture capitalists. Um, VCs, many cases, will signal when they're going to start shifting big investment dollars um, into a new area, whether it be green technologies. Kleiner Perkins did that a number of years ago. Um, you know, they'll 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 pick it. You know, I you know, Internet of Things, big area. We're going to put so many dollars uh, around the Internet of Things. Um, you know, the sharing economy, so the Uber-like or Lyft-like kinds of technology. So the VCs will signal when they're going to about re- when they're going to be rolling in significant dollars. So that also is a good indication of of uh, you know where they think the hot area is. The other is is look at the portfolio companies and see um, who they've invested in. But the one key with VCs that I found to be almost just as good or even a better hint um, as to where things might be coming. Is, is when a CEO that's been very successful for a venture firm, you know, they got original money, they've cashed out, or it's somebody who's maybe has a name in the industry, the VCs will bring them in as what they refer to as an entrepreneur and resident. And they're basically paid by the VCs to come around and hang around in their offices and work on and come up with new ideas. Um, think of it as kind of, you know, the... Uh, uh, the an idea factory for uh, that's controlled by the VCs, and so in this case, knowing who the entrepreneurs in resident are can be hugely insightful. So going out and taking a look um, at what the VCs are are focusing in on. Um, the other is is startups. Looking at the startup space now, that's fairly easy to do, and that would be the obvious one that we all would go off and look at. So taking a look at um, startups. Startups that are in a similar area, startups that um, that are potentially uh, looking at uh, spaces. Some of them are trying to be stealthy, so you have to be a little, you have to be uh, clever and trying to discern what that information is. Now, some of the other areas include large companies looking at their corporate R and D labs, even looking at nonprofit, non-traditional organizations. Like, look, I'm the CEO at Cable Labs. We are a nonprofit, tax exempt. R&D lab funded by the cable industry. We are, you know, we refer to ourselves as kind of the AT&T Bell Labs for cable. If you're interested in broadband, you should follow what we put on our blogs and who works for us and et cetera to kind of see the areas that we're interested in. And then last is really the media. Media includes, you know, the industry press, blog sites. It also includes research analysts, but it also includes patents. Where, what patents are being filed in a, in a specific area? So these are all the areas from a scouting report that you should uh, seriously take a look at from the standpoint of really understanding um, what are those areas that are of keen interest for you. So we're going to come right back after uh, this commercial break, um, and we're going to talk about really about customers and how do you collect this information up. And I've got a checklist for you that I'm going to share. You're going to be able to download it. So don't go anywhere. We'll talk about that as soon as I get back. Uh, Stay tuned. This is Phil McKinney at Killer Innovations on the BizTalk Radio Network. Don't go anywhere, because we'll be right back.
Biz Talk Radio. is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. Welcome back to Killer Innovations. I'm your host, Phil McKinney. We're going to pick it up again in in this segment. We're talking about um, scouting for innovations. How do you go out after you've identified an area of innovation interest, whether it's your timeline or some other prioritization method that you go through to say, hey, this is an area that we're interested in. We're going to focus in this area. How do you scout out what is already going on in this space? So in the last uh, segment, we shared um, areas that I use, which include things like government, universities, uh, venture capitalists, startups, large companies, corporate R&D labs like an HP lab or an IBM research or a Xerox Park. Also look at nonprofit, non-traditional, uh, like industry R&D labs, like where I'm CEO now at, which is Cable Labs. Or you go out to the media, look at industry reports, research analysts. Um, don't ignore patents, but patents lag so far behind that uh, by the time something gets patented um, it you know, and it gets published, you could be behind the game. Um, so the other is, is now where, where else can you look? One is, is look at customers, right? How's, if you identified an area of innovation, particularly one that's maybe in the two to three year time frame, the customer may already be having the problem and may have already come up with, with a hack, with a solution that works for them. So in that case, go off and see what customers are currently doing and see if you can't take that hack and turn it into a product. That works out very well. Um, you really want to look for these DIY, do-it-yourself kind of solutions that you can turn into. And uh, one that I always think that, that IKEA should always focus in on is the uh, uh, IKEA hacking. So there's a site out there. I wrote about it in my book um, where customers buy things from IKEA and then put them together completely in a way that IKEA never anticipated. And they act to solve a problem, like the, the father who took a kitchen table and cut two holes in it so it would hold two uh, baby car seats because him and his wife ended up with twins. And they needed a way to put the kids into something so they could uh, feed them um, easily. And it was a great, it's a great hack. Um, also, how do you, co- you know, so how do you collect the information? How do you find all this out? Well, obviously, Google is one. Um, you can also find people who, who are really good at uh, kind of identifying uh, the future, right? So, for instance, if you're not following... Uh, you know, Robert Scoble, um, you should. Um, Robert's been on the show here. He's a longtime friend. He just uh, did a keynote at my event last August here in uh, Colorado. Um, and that's, you know, Robert does. He, he goes off. He just spent, you know, three days at the University of Illinois in Chicago and, and posted a bunch of videos on interesting companies and interesting research going on there. You want to find those kinds of people. The other is, is you want to find people within your organization. Just don't get stuck within your team. You know, in the case of even in, you know, in my life, I've always found those individuals who you, their job is in one area, but their passion is in something else. And they have a really deep knowledge and a really deep expertise. Um, the other is, is recruit from the outside. Find some people outside and, invite, and create an advisory board, create an innovation advisory board. 
um, you know, I don't know, it was probably seven or eight years ago, I got asked to sit on the uh, Innovation Advisory Board for Roche Diagnostics. Um, these, this is the division of Roche that does work in uh, diabetes detection. So it's uh, the test meters. AccuCheck is the brand name. Now, I am not diabetic. There's nobody in my family that's diabetic. But the person who runs Innovation for Roche is a listener of my podcast. Um, he had read my book. He'd reached out. And uh, we ended up connecting. And I sat on that innovation board for, for many, many years. And we were working in, in areas around type 2 diabetes. Um, so it wasn't just around, you know, you know, pricking your finger and testing your blood. But what are other ways to, one, identify people at risk and, two, um, help them have a, a healthy, long life. Um, so it was really interesting for me. I, I had a blast at it because it's in an area that I had no expertise in. So I had to immerse myself in the issues around diabetes, um, testing technologies, how test strips are manufactured. I went to Germany. I spent two weeks with the Roche you know, R&D teams. I mean, it was, it was an absolute blast. Did I get paid for it? No. They paid for my travel. But other than that... Um, I just did it out of, you know, just out of sheer, I just thought it was the, I had, the, I had the world's greatest experience at it. I also had HP behind me at the time. So, um, I had that luxury of, of being able to, to, uh, have that flexibility in what I was doing. But one way is, is to find some people who you really admire and ask them to be on an innovation advisory board. You know, make it low friction from the standpoint of you don't, don't expect them to give you five hours a week. Um, but at the same time, set the expectation and get a really good, smart group, two, three, four people who are really going to advise you, are really going to give you some, uh, some of that feedback. Um, the other is, is once you've got your scanning report, share it. Create a mechanism that will actually uh, allow you to share it across your organization. Um, your scanning report is never going to be complete. Um, and you want to have you want to invite other people to contribute. You want to literally turn everybody in your team and everybody in your entire organization um, is to take a look at and come up and contribute. They're reading things, they're looking at things. Um, if they find something that's of interest, then have them contribute. Add to the scouting report. Uh, we in, at HP we had this very robust mechanism where anybody could submit. You know, press articles, PowerPoint presentations they got from a speech or whatever kind of went into this system, made it very easy for everybody in the organization to discover, um, know who the contacts were, how to reach that company or how to reach that researcher. Um, and so it became kind of a, uh, the brain of all these kind of scouting reports. So you don't have to quite go that sophisticated. It could be something to just create a Google Docs spreadsheet, list things in the spreadsheet to make it easy. Um, or you can, you know, create a more sophisticated system. So, um, in my case, the way we share it inside the organization is I prefer Slack. So Slack for me, uh, both for the work on things like the radio show we're doing today, uh, my second book, which I'm in, in work on right now, um, along with all of my other, my nonprofits, my investment. You know, I invest in entrepreneurs, particularly in developing countries. So my investments, like in Rwanda, we do it all by Slack. Cable Labs, we're all Slack. Um, it allows really for this very easy flow of 
interesting companies, what's going on, but we put behind it then a systems. Now, here's one thought that's come up a couple times. You know, we are a community, right? There'd be people who are uh, on, uh, on Killer Innovations. Now, we already have the group Killer Innovations over on LinkedIn. If you're not part of that, you should hop over that and join. Um, it is a closed group, but go ahead and uh, uh, just do the what's called a request to join. And about once a week, I go through that and accept people, accept everybody in. So um, go ahead and apply. It's really made up of innovators from around the world. Um, it is a uh, it is a great way to, to do that. Um, and then, and so you can do that. I'm thinking about setting up a Slack or a Facebook group. If you've got an opinion, let me know. You can send it to me at phil at killerinnovations.com. Now, uh, today I've kind of gone quickly through the scouting report. I've created a scouting report checklist uh, to make sure that you cover all these different areas. So to, to download the scouting report checklist, go to killerinnovations.com slash Scouting, S-C-O-U-T-I-N-G, KillerInnovations.com slash Scouting. Um, and I'll have a link and a button uh, in the show notes. So you can just go to KillerInnovations.com and check it out there. Uh, I'll give you two options. You can download the PDF. I also give you a direct link to the Google Doc. So you can grab the Google Doc, download it, modify the document. You don't have to go off and uh, recreate it. And you can add to it and enhance it. And if you do, let me know. Maybe we'll... Uh, and enhance the the checklist for everybody. So, um, so that's basically it. You've got the innovation timeline. You identify those prioritized areas that you're interested in. You need to go off and scout. You've got to go take a look at all of those areas that are uh, of uh, that that you're looking at to make sure that you understand what everybody else is doing, so that you don't get caught up uh, redoing and replowing the same same area. So. We're going to take another quick commercial break. When we come back, uh, we're going to have this week's killer question. Killer question are those questions that cause you to look at the opportunities facing you in a different way. And for you to be able to go beyond that obvious answer to go to the non-obvious answer to really identify an idea that will become a game-changing breakthrough innovation. So don't go anywhere. Stay right where you're at. We're going to be back you're listening to Killer Innovations on the BizTalk Radio Network. And when we come back, we'll have this week's Killer Question. BizTalk Radio. Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation. Welcome back to Killer Innovations. I'm your host, Phil McKinney. We are talking today uh, about what's the that killer question that really causes you to think differently. Uh, killer questions are really those questions that cause you to look at whether it's an opportunity or a problem in a kind of a, of a, of a twist, something that forces you to look at it differently. 
Killer questions are those things that really help you unlock and look not just to the obvious answer that you and all of your competitors are going to think about, but you want to look at something differently. That's where you really come in with some unique insight. So, so what is this week's killer question? This week's killer question is, is in what order do you do the R&D process or do you do your innovation process or do you do your marketing process? And what would be the result if you flipped it? If you totally changed how you do it. Now, I'm a big believer that you, you got to have some structure. And yes, you can actually put structure around innovation efforts. But as soon as you get committed and you believe that the, um, you know, that your process is what makes you successful, you're dead. You have to constantly innovate the way you innovate. So in the traditional R&D process, product is developed and it's kind of handed off to the design team to kind of wrap it up and make it look pretty. What we used to refer to at HP is, you know, wrap it in plastic or putting lipstick on a pig. Now, the drawback is that this approach is, is very out to date. In the last 10 years, you know, the customers have really become much more design savvy. Consumers want functional, usable design that really highlights kind of that ease of use. Um, or kind of this emotive design that adds kind of that personal connection um, with the product, you know. Or in some way broadcasts a statement about the user, whether it's a bright colors or, you know, they picked it out because it matched something personality-wise around them. Now, we can all name a handful of companies that are kind of melding this form and function, you know, that really resonates with users. It really creates kind of that deep... Uh, brand loyalty. You know, just look at JetBlue. You know, they're essentially a low-cost carrier, but their design does really a masterful job of suggesting that really they provide a full-service experience. Their terminal in JFK, it's a flashback to the old days when flying was very elegant and sophisticated, and it was more pleasant to spend time compared to the terminals of most of its competitors, the so-called legacy carriers. Um, it's important to constantly ask why you develop your product elements in a particular order. This is especially true if your organization has been in business for a substantial length of time, yet you're still developing your products in an order that is devised to suit the production methods. Um, now Ford Motor Company uh, worked with IDEO and a New York-based design firm called Smart Design uh, on, what, on the Ford Fusion. Now, this was a daring move for Ford, as the car industry has always believed in keeping every new ideas proprietary. Now, by bringing in an outside you know, firm, they risk their design being leaked. Um, and that's the biggest fear for a lot of companies. Oh my God, you're gonna steal my idea. However, they recognize both that they needed to do something bold with the design to really to reflect the radically new nature of the car, but they didn't know where to start. So Ford wanted a design that reflected the fact that the hybrid car was new, not built the same way, not designed the same way. So Part of this process was realizing that their potential customer base was made up of people with widely divergent needs and wants. You know, they had those hardcore hypermilers. Those are the people that you see in the right-hand lane who never want to hit, the, never want to hit the brake and don't want to be accelerating and decelerating. They want to keep nice, constant speed. You know, these people keep spreadsheets detailing their performance of how much they get out of every gallon of gas they buy. Now, there were customers who were concerned about the environment, but didn't think much about it beyond making a decision to go hybrid. And then there were people who simply were looking for a, to lower the amount they spent on gas, but weren't emotionally invested, really, in the whole environmental game. 
Now, all these groups wanted different levels of information and feedback from the dashboard. The hypermilers wanted to keep score of their gas mileage. They wanted to monitor how well they were doing and how hard they were doing on their braking. Now, the less environmentally focused customers wanted a simpler, less distracting display. Now, the only thing all the potential customers agreed on was that there needed to be an easy-to-find clock display somewhere on the dash. It's amazing why the clock is still so important. So rather than developing the dashboard last to meet the specs of the car, which is what's typically done, typically they wrap up the car and then the uh, dash team gets to come in and design the dashboard. The design team reversed the process and started working on the dash long before they even had the car itself designed. Now they started off interviewing hundreds of potential customers but quickly realized that one design was not going to do it for everybody. It's not going to make everybody happy. So after multiple rounds of testing, they developed a dash that allowed the driver to pick one of four settings that determined what appeared on the display. Now, once this concept was finalized, it was sent to the engineers to incorporate into the overall specs of the vehicle. Because now you had the display, you had to make sure the car generated the data that the display needed in order to uh, satisfy the needs of the customer. By reversing the order in which their process was normally done, here's the car, now figure it out, the combined team of Ford, IDEO, and Smart Design was able to come up with a very unique experience. And if you remember when the Fusion came out, it broke new ground. It really changed the whole philosophy of how car design needs to happen. It's not about, you know, it used to be all about the engine and you wrapped around the engine. It's now about what happens in the the compartment, the 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 driver compartment, passenger compartment of the vehicle, and everything else wraps around it. So the sparking points. In what order do you develop an idea and its components? And what would happen if you changed it? How do you make the determination about your customer's priorities in regards to how you order the phase of the R&D? And when do you involve design in R&D? What would be the impact if you changed it? So think about it. Be willing to change your whole processes. Turn Upset the apple cart and do it differently. So we're going to wrap up here for the show. A couple things. Check us out, kilinnovations.com. You can check out the show notes. I would also ask you, go over to iTunes and give us a rating. It helps a lot to raise the visibility of the show, to find new people who could benefit from, from what we talk about here. So run over to iTunes really quick. Just give us a quick rating. Uh, next week, we will be back. We're here every Sunday live. You hear the podcast on Tuesdays. I want to thank Jeremiah for his support. He's engineering the show today. It's always uh, great to uh, be able to have him there, making sure we stay on track. And uh, really uh, appreciate you taking the time, particularly those on Facebook Live and Periscope. And we'll talk to you next week. This is Phil McKinney. You're listening to Kill Innovations on the BizTalk Radio Network. Opinions you hear on Biz Talk Radio are those of the hosts, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect those of this station, Biz Talk Radio, its management, or advertisers. The information on Biz Talk Radio does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or service. If you have any questions about Biz Talk Radio, contact us at 817-274-1609 or at biztalkradio.com. Biz Talk Radio. 